Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. This week, we sit down with Nicole Ju from Parity Technologies to chat about the canary chaos network they call Kusama. Before we start, I have a quick favor to ask. In order to make this show as good as it can be, it would help us to get some feedback from you, our listeners. I've added a link in the show notes to a short questionnaire. If you are a long-standing listener, or if you're pretty new to the show, we'd really like to hear from you. The form is anonymous, so feel free to share what you like and what you don't like about the podcast. Of course, you can also always keep in touch with us on Telegram and Twitter. Subscribe where you get your podcasts. We share a new episode every week. So looking forward to hearing from you. And now here's our conversation about Kusama. So in today's episode, I'm going to be exploring this kind of special network called Kusama. Um, and to do this, I have a really great guest, Nicole Chu. Welcome Hello. to the show. Thank you for having me. And in this kind of special episode, I'm also going to have Frederick, but a little bit like less as a co-host and more as a guest, because Frederick and Nicole actually work together at Parity. So hi, Frederick. Hello. So I think our audience already knows Frederick pretty well. I don't think Frederick needs any intro. But Nicole, I don't know you that well. So I'd like to hear a little bit about how you kind of came to Parity and what you do at Parity and what your role is in the launch or, I don't know, uh, management of this Kusama thing. Sounds good. Hello. So I joined Parity earlier this year and as a dev. Um, and as a part of that uh, evolution, I was able to help the team launch Kusama Network. Um, prior to joining Parity, I actually lived in Southeast Asia for about three years. Um, I used to head up a fraud and anti-money laundering department for a billion-dollar fintech and um, ride-sharing company. <laughs> and for the past, I think, two and a half years, um, ran a team fighting fraud. Um, and I think in an ecosystem where certain infrastructure, for example, identity infrastructure, um, and a government census was somewhat lacking, uh, fighting fraud is sort of like trying to stop a bullet with a piece of paper. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, so in that ecosystem... <laughs> Um, I mean, a, a lot of things worked really well, but it was very specific endemic things. Like you could get a SIM card anywhere for 50 cents, which um, for any kind of startup means you can sign up for an account and mm -hmm. take advantage of all of the promos and things. Um, you could also, I think on the gray market, purchase a passport for $5 and use that to sign up for an account. So individuals' credit scores um, also weren't really reliable. So long story short, I think um, during that process and researching what better alternative infrastructure was out there, um, I came upon Gav, Yuta, Fred, the team at Parity, and the Web3 vision, which is, hey, let's move from won't do evil, right, into can't do evil. Um, and so I saw this 
wonderful team that was building uh, potentially the infrastructure that was going to power financial institutions, identity entities of the future. Um, And that really felt like a idealistic pursuit. (laughs) So I was able to join the team earlier this year and slowly work towards that. Wow, what a switch. That's wild. I want to hear, so what is your role exactly when it comes to Kusama? Are you building Kusama? Are you working on it in a different way? I'm curious to hear how you interact with Kusama. Uh, In terms of the code contributions, very minimal. I think onboarding (laughs) to the stack is a continuous challenge, uh, albeit a very great one. Um, For the Kusama launch itself, I got to help out on that, I think, just three months into my time here. So for that, I played the role of a glue person. (laughs) So trying to provide everyone working towards this, um, and it was a team effort. It took uh, probably um, the work of 100 people over the course of two years to really launch this um, with Gav's vision. Um, And so I was able to kind of go in between things and uh, ensure that the messaging came across, the branding came across, um, and folks knew what was happening. Cool. So what is Kusama then? It's sort of this mysterious almost a test net, but not quite a test net type thing before Polkadot comes out. What is Kusama? It's a great question. (laughs) Kusama, I think in short, is a earlier release of Polkadot Network. It's meant to be wholly experimental. It's unaudited. Um, And it tries to achieve two things. Um, One is to help educate the market, like most test nets when they're launched. Um, most most protocols are launched with very bleeding edge concepts, very bleeding edge technology, and we want to make sure that it works, that it's secure, that our assumptions are correct. Um, and as the complementary part to that, also educate the community, the many developers who are hoping can come on to the ecosystem and figure out their integrations and, and other ways of uh, interacting with our protocol. So that was the first motivation um, from the team, from Gav on why we wanted to launch a earlier network. I think the second motivation for Kusama, and here's where, well, here is why we call it a canary or experimental network rather than just a testnet. Here's where it kind of kicks it up a notch, is that when we set out to spec how the network, how Kusama network will be launched, we wanted it to resemble as much of the economic and market conditions of mainnet, of Polkadot network, as possible. And historically, that's been very difficult to get with testnets because it comes out as a testnet. You can use that to test the utility, but the risk, the reward, the consequences, and thus the incentive structures weren't there. So it was a very interesting challenge for the team to work through of, okay, how do we get people to come into the network, try to break things, without introducing very contrived, arbitrary bounties into this network. Um, Because from a research perspective, any tiny manufactured incentive you put into this testnet, that fundamentally changes your assumption. If you say, hey, everyone, come in here and do collusion, that's not something you're going to do in the actual mainnet. No. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. So thinking through, you know, how can we do that through... Accurate token allocations, giving the same people Kusama token allocations as we give, um, as as whoever owns dots for the mainnet. 
and other things like trying to make this as community-owned as possible, not having a kill switch, not um, trying to direct how this network evolves in the future. Why not just do a regular uh, game of stakes? I mean, this is this is the so far this is sort of the example of like how to launch a POS system. And you see, Cosmos did it, and then there's all these other networks that are running their own now game of stakes. This seems to have become sort of a standard. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with Game of Stakes? Nothing's wrong with Game of Stakes. For what they wanted to do, Game of Stakes was awesome. It educated the market, and that benefits all of us together. Uh, Game of Stakes, um, I believe, was structured to attract as many validators to the ecosystem as possible. And by putting out bounty rewards, it did exactly that. Um, so from observing that, from observing many other protocols and their testnets, we learned um, that well, how, how to be able to test this utility. And the team has a lot of previous experience launching test nets. Um, we still wanted to do something a little bit different for Kusama in that we wanted to actually, as closely as possible, test the crypto economics. And for blockchain technology, that's the hardest thing to do, but also the most important thing to do <laughs> because the economics is completely tethered into the technology and into the code. You can't test one without the other. Um, so in that sense, we refuse to call it a testnet, <laughs> and we try to put in as much specs and stimulation uh, as naturally as possible. So for Kusama, people are acting from a general kind of incentive to accrue as many tokens as possible or to accrue as much power as possible and to lose as little as possible. Cool. So I guess... Comparing and contrasting to past testnet efforts, if we look at something like Runkeby or like the Ethereum proof of work testnets, there isn't necessarily a kill switch either, but it starts with a blank slate, right? Where you just say, here's a completely new network. It has the same node as Ethereum, but it's just starting from scratch. Uh, if we look at the um, Parity's uh, Ethereum testnet, then we had control over the validity. It was a POA network so we had control over the validators and could just shut down the network if we wanted to um, now we've migrated it to external community validators but yeah that's still usually how test nets run right yeah. it's like start from scratch just test the node software itself um, but really like to nicole's point it doesn't really test the game theoretics of it so right it's a it's an interesting challenge to see how how you can if you can test game theoretics at all. <laughs> right. What we've just kind of covered is like the difference between Kusama and the test nets out there in the in the world. I think what I'd be curious to hear is you kind of mentioned like you want things to break, but like what do you want to break? Like I, I don't exactly understand what pieces like could I mean in some ways you could have things like the software could like could the node software still break? Is that also something that is like desired to break yeah, in this test? Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, we've had it break a couple of times already, <laughs> although not not through uh, external efforts, which is unfortunate. It's just through would, our own well, mistakes. I mean, would you want something like validator collusion? Are these the, like yeah, the types? For of sure, because if they collude, they lose their tokens. Like in theory, right? Yeah. That's the game theoretic properties that we want to test. So. The network should, to some extent, like, you know, to whatever extent possible, be collusion resistant. Because if if validators can collude to like double spend on Kusama, 
the theory it, it's it's not necessarily one to one because not all dot holders ha- have claimed their KSM and the engagement in the network is not necessarily that of the mainnet. So it's still not a perfect environment and like the perfect, you know, production environment for a reproducible test case. But Mm. um, if they can do it on Kusama, probably they can do it on Polkadot. So yeah, if they can do it on Kusama, then we want to know about that and change the protocol so that... Because again, the token allocation is the same. So the same investors who will hold a percentage of tokens in Polkadot mainnet are currently reflected in Kusama. Hmm. And because token supply is restricted and somewhat friction to get, they're on Kusama network still fully incentivized to collude and get as many KSMs as possible. So they are incentivized to collude on the testnet. Correct. If they colluded, they'd be slashed on the test on on Kusama. Correct. But they would be hopefully. hopefully. That's okay. We designed our slashing mechanism. <laughs> but then, are they rewarded by the Web three Foundation for finding this awesome thing? So that's where I think the game mechanics for Kusama is a little bit different. Okay. So for Kusama Network, we didn't design specific bounties because when we introduce bounties into a test net. We're not going to do that for the mainnet. Once we launch mainnet, we're not going to say, hey, everyone, come together with your friends and break our network. Mm. So naturally, by introducing a bounty into the testnet, we also break some fundamental human-driven incentive um, structures. And so for Kusama, again, going back to uh, having the allocations match one-to-one and um, letting the network eventually evolve to take a mind of its own and having the community being able to take it in whichever direction, bridging it into mainnet, potentially tethering or having some kind of experimental utility value in KSMs, that is what fundamentally motivates uh, the users of the network to still accrue as many KSM tokens as possible. To, to your point of collusion, if they colluded and got slashed, they wouldn't. They shouldn't get rewarded because they didn't break anything, right? The, everything behaved as expected. If they collude and don't get slashed, they get rewarded by having having you know cheated the network out of some KSM. <laughs> yeah. So. That's the only case where they actually break something, right? Where they don't get slashed. Okay. What else do you want to test? What else should break? We want to test our design of governance. Um, So the exciting thing about Polkadot is that the on-chain logic is upgradable. And it's upgradable through this notion of a on-chain governance, Right, so everyone very controversial with, topic, by the way. <laughs> very mm-hmm. controversial. Um, <laughs> quick context on that. Uh, <clears throat> the way that the team has designed it is that it's a tricameral governance structure where the public gets a vote. There is a central council at the moment of 13 members who essentially get more of a weighted vote. And now Gavin and the team have introduced this concept of a technical committee. So if you've contributed any code to Kusama, Substrate, Polkadot in the past, you also get a vote. So when all of those dynamics and the politics of that come together, we are working with a lot of inherent assumptions. What actually happens when you give these three governing bodies the ability uh, and completely kind of unstoppable because all of this logic is on chain to be able to drive the future direction of the chain. So one of the things and the chaotic things that we're hoping to see happen on uh, Kusama Network is that people come on, people play politics, people try to run for office, people try to join the council, um, and we want to see those dynamics play out. Joining the council right now in Kusama is actually pretty easy. Last time I checked, you don't really need much KSM at all to 
get elected into the council. Yeah. Um, but this is like one of the interesting things to test, right? Is, I mean, I personally also believe like if Pokhara fails, like the most likely thing to fail is the governance system. I mean, right. it is it is controversial for a reason. Um, and, um, you know, how do you test a governance system? Like it's insanely hard. You, you're never going to get the same participation as you would on a mainnet. So how relevant is this test? I don't know. But like at the end of the day, it's it's the best we can do, I think. And if it, so I'd say if it fails on Kusama, it wouldn't necessarily fail on Polkadot. But if it succeeds on Kusama, it's pretty damn likely to succeed on Polkadot as well. How many um, seats, how many of these council seats are in the public pool? Uh, I think for the first version of Kusama that was released, uh, there were seven seats. And to Fred's oh. point, really anyone could come on, campaign for themselves, get enough votes to get onto a seat. At the moment, I believe it's 13 um, odd numbers. So that might increase to a couple more seats as we release new versions. Is there a limit? The idea is that there's a limit. Do you know where that limit is? I'm just curious, like, what this public group would be like. Is it, like, 21? Is it, like, 50? 50? Is it 100? Is it, like... There's a political limit. Like, yeah. you can't have a council of infinite size. Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But there's a technical limit as well because we're running this fragments algorithm to assign the, the seats, and uh, it's relatively complicated to run. Like, couldn't run it for however many mm -hmm. members, like... I I've don't seen, actually know yeah. what the performance is and like what's a reasonable size for that. It's probably larger than we'd actually want anyway. One, oh, one last thing I did want to mention that does make Kusama timeline-wise a bit more chaotic than Polkadot Maynard is that the time sequence of everything. So for example, when it comes to electing your members, um, how fast they actually take their seats. Um, and going back to the whole validator activities, um, how long your tokens are potentially bonded for before they are slashed, all of that time frame is reduced to a quarter of what we'll see on mainnet. And so this network is essentially running 4x faster. Um, ah. Yeah, and, and so through a lot of interaction and activity, we can see a lot of these dynamics play out as if it's on speed. That's cool. Yeah. So you're actually seeing like the crashes happening faster or the... No crashes so far. <laughs> <laughs> I think our developer community has been very happy about performance. CPU usage mm. has been good. Memory is running at 30%. Um, I think we talked to a couple of validator members earlier this week, and they came back to us and they said, performance-wise, Kusama Network has been boring. But that's a good thing. That's what you want for your infrastructure. When you're driving a car over a bridge, this infrastructure, you don't want it to be exciting. Mm. <laughs> so and in that like, sense, it's been good. That's why we've heard about cryptographers. Cryptography is supposed to be boring. Like that's yeah. what Joseph yeah. Bonneau said recently I like that. in an episode. Because if it's it, exciting, uh, it means it's... Wasn't it Dan who said that? Was it? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> I thought it was one Dan. of those smart guys that we had on at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the most like the speed up is more most interesting for the governance stuff again, like because you can put in a proposal, you can get everything elected, and you can like get things through so much faster. Hmm. Um, it's kind of you know a governance in a real world setting. You want to be slow, like intentionally. You want it to like. There should be time to think about things and mm -hmm. whatever else. Like, 
need members of the public to come in and have time to see things. So like things necessarily have to move slowly. Um, but if you just want to try shit out, then you don't really want to put all that burden on yeah. the process. The thing is, I don't, I don't know. Part of me doesn't know how much time we should spend on this governance thing, but I do have another question on this. So you mentioned these three bodies in the governance. This is sort of the governance of Polkadot. This isn't Kusama specific. It was the public. It was a technical council. And then there was like a council of experts or what What was that called? That There's a general council. So when we're talking about people who are getting voted into these seats of power by the public, that's the general council. Okay. The way that folks get into the technical council is in the past, if they've contributed to either Substrate or Polkadot repos, then they have an additional weight as well. Maybe we can talk like a little bit more about that technical committee then, because so the public the public votes in these council members that are on the council, mm-hmm. and the public is any token holder. The technical um, committee is the is this group of people who've actually worked on the network. So, but how do they actually like? There's lots of people who've worked. Do they also go through a voting process? That has been, I think, so far automatically assigned. And then in the future, they will go through a voting process. I believe from reading the specs, the council will have the ability to vote additional people in and out of the technical committee. I see. But the technical committee as it stands, is it like parity employees right now? Or is it like mostly, like if it's contributors, I just picture like most of the people who've contributed so far. It's community contributors. Okay. Right. And for the council itself, remember the 13 seats that we're talking about, it's not actually all parity or foundation employees. At the moment, I think five of the 13 seats belong to community projects, Um, folks that are in some way, shape, or form working towards Web3. Five of the seats belong to individual developers and researchers who've been able to rally some support from (laughs) random token holders behind them. Um, two of the seats, I haven't been able to figure out who they are. I think it's great that they're anonymous. Oh, cool. Yeah. And there's one left in that. (laughs) Great, great. (laughs) Um, The the one last seat at the moment, I think, is Gav. Okay. Um, He still has a pseudo key during this transition period where Kusama Network, you can think of it like it's still being in staging once we get everything stable and calm. Then Gav will flip a switch. He will relinquish uh, control of the pseudo key, and then the network will truly belong to the public. At that point in time, um, the public, any token holders, could uh, gradually replace existing people who are uh, seated on the council seats. Actually, so what you've just spoken about, you just sort of mentioned this, like how you're releasing this thing. So I kind of want to take a step backwards and look kind of at the beginning of this project to now. Mm -hmm. Like we're meeting today and Kusama is live and there are validators, but let's go back three months, four months, what was the beginning of this idea and how did you actually launch something like this? Because this is like launching a blockchain general if it's going to be live and it's not only, it's not a test net, it's not something that's going to be changed in the future. So how did that happen? How was the rollout? So Kusama is a early release of Polkadot. So from a feasibility perspective, all of the code and the functionality the team already had. It was really a launch that the team had been gearing up to from the last two years of implementation and hard work. So the initial release of Kusama Network, I believe, came out on August 
23rd. Um, and it came out with a suite of the protocol, node tools, um, and it had a natively built uh, governance that was proof of authority. Um, and along with that, a lot of the very exciting features that the team had been working on are hybrid consensus mechanism, grandpa and babe, um, the whole kind of upgradable run uh, runtime, upgradable on-chain blockchain logic promise was also a part of that release. Um, the initial notions of um, a nominated proof-of-stake validator selection was also launched, um, and some initial inklings of parachain implementations. So for context, in the Polkadot ecosystem, if you want to connect to the network of other blockchains, one of the ways you can do so is become a parachain, and that was a muchly anticipated feature. So initial parts of those implementations were all released at the same time, uh, by having the team on August 23rd. Cool. And so, but it wasn't fully, it wasn't really all usable. Or there was like parts that were, yeah. like, I, I just remember it coming out, but then being like, but you can't do anything yet. Correct. <laughs> you can, it's live, but don't, uh, it, was, it doesn't do anything. You can't do yeah. anything. It, it was like, uh, it's what we would call a soft launch, right? And it's the same as soft launches in most other networks. Usually, other networks do soft launches for their main nets, but <laughs> we did it for this. And for some context, like we had test nets before this as well. So there was Alexander testnet. We'll have for future test nets as well. But a test net, yeah, we already talked about the downsides, but it's also just like mostly ourselves running the infrastructure. Hmm. So <clears throat> the soft launch, it's still just us running this, the infrastructure. And then it's we can talk more about like where to go from there and how we get in external validators, et cetera. But it's still like you're putting it out there in a different way, like in a different environment. And we did see uh, different behaviors in nodes and network behavior. And we tried to distribute the nodes a little bit better. And like we experimented on the technical side of like how we actually run this just in, in soft launch mode. So in soft launch mode, the only thing you're testing basically is networking and consensus. Hmm. And once you're comfortable that they work and you, you're, you'll it'll stand up to actually adding external validators who suddenly behave irrationally and have shitty networking and everything else, um, then uh, you know we're more comfortable making that switch. So how long was that period? So it sounds like like... That was how you launched it. It was kind of coming off of this testnet model. It was still a POA network. How long did that stay the case? Mm, I think if we applied milestones to how Kusama has evolved, there are just three main milestones to pay attention to. Um, one was the initial release, like yeah. we just talked about. Um, the second release came, I think, a few weeks after August 23rd. And that one um, introduced a few new features that the team had been working on until then. And that release was interesting because we were able to upgrade the blockchain without having all of the nodes go down. And we delivered on the upgradable runtime promise. Cool. Um, was that what else happened in that in that moment? In that like upgrade? Uh, we introduced more components of the governance mechanism. So more features with the three different parties that we just talked about. We enabled staking. So up until the second milestone, um, 
validators or folks who had tokens weren't able to indicate their intent to help to secure the network. So after that release, people were able to be validators and start accepting rewards. So that's currently happening on the network. I think as a part of the validating, there's another feature on the network called nominating. So not all of us are going to invest in the time, the money, and the resources to set up our own nodes. It's such a technically intense process. So there's a notion of if you have tokens, you can pick your favorite validators and put your money behind them or put your utility tokens behind them through a process of nominating. So that was also turned on, I believe, in the last release. So now if you have any Kusama tokens, you can actually select your top 16 most favorite validators and say any additional tokens they earn by securing the network, I will get a portion of that as well. And conversely, if they get slashed and punished for bad behavior, then I get a little bit of my stake taken away as well. Okay. I mean, the this is delegation in other networks. I think Correct. most of our listeners, I imagine, are pretty comfortable with that. What is kind of neat, and this is sort of neat in the Polkadot context, and I guess in Kusama too, is this idea of having within the nominating process, this decision to nominate to a bunch of different validators. Right. right. And then the there's, and there's some sort of proportionate delegation or nomination, right? It's like, correct. how does that, how is that working, right? Like, I know kind of how it was planned for Polkadot. I don't right. know if we ever covered it on the podcast, but I feel like I've seen that at least. But how is it working in Kusama? The way that we help people choose their validators is through something called Fragments Method. I believe you can select up to 16 validators. Um, and then the function automatically distributes the amount of tokens uh, between all of the different validators. And some of the uh, levers and some of the math behind it has to do with you don't want to put everything behind the biggest validators because if they make a mistake, you will get disproportionately slashed more than if a smaller validator that you backed made a mistake. Hmm. Conversely, the amount of tokens that you would earn from backing a big validator versus a small one is actually equivalent. So... Hmm. In the team's design of validation rewards and, and punishments, <laughs> it pushes us towards a more uh, equal um, incentive structure that pushes for as many small guys to be validators as possible. And I think that's the fun, quirky um, design motivation behind Fragment's method. How many validators are there now? I think we've capped the network to 100. Okay. Um, very soon, the team might up that to 150. From speaking with researchers, I mean, don't quote me on this, I think we can scale up to 1,000 validators without any concerns or issues. And of course, for a truly decentralized network, the goal is to get much higher than that. At the moment, it's capped to 100. We have 40, I think, waiting in the pool. Mm. And that's, I mean, I know that, like, if you look at the Cosmos network, and I think if you look at a lot of the other POS systems, 100 seems like it's a it's a nice place to be in for a period of time, especially, I think, during testing and wanting to see some of the behaviors. Um, what is the, what's the challenge with going bigger? Like, why don't those networks that have been live for longer, why aren't they bigger? Do you know? 
Yeah, it has to do with, well, I can speak uh, about one of the constraints on Polkadot Network. Um, one of the biggest value propositions for becoming a parachain or using the parathreads in the network is that you benefit from pooled shared security. If you join the network, you get to share the same validators that are randomly allocated every cycle or so as the other chains. Mm -hmm. So when you're a newcomer to the network, this means that you can actually trust um, all the messages and transactions and the proof of truths that the other chains are claiming. Uh, conversely, I think from a performance perspective, and Fred can definitely get more detailed on this, um, is that for every additional validator you introduce into the network, you're exponentially scaling um, the amount of messages uh, each validator would have to relay. You right. are uh, having to have each of the validators store more data because they're eventually going to be randomly assigned to every, to every blockchain at mm. one point. Not exponentially, but quadratically at least. Quadratically. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like if you're running a classical PBFT mm. Tendermint style consensus, then um, the network overhead is such that you can't really run much more than 100. And um, so you need to like get creative in how you solve the networking problems and like introduce other things. And that's why like the Ethereum consensus is this super complicated BLS aggregation of signatures so their kind their goal is to have like four million validators on day one or something and then, <laughs> i don't think it's, it's quite like, that many but yeah something like yeah. that <laughs> um, anyone with 32 eth that's what i heard yeah so um i mean on our side like nicole said there's not that much limitation in the protocol we think we can go pretty high uh, implementation wise we want to do some changes to networking before we really crank it up thousand plus but we haven't really benchmarked it. Like, I wonder if we could run a thousand right now. We might be able to. That's. Um, I mean, this this issue of networking we've talked about a, a bunch of times on the podcast before. Is this? I mean, is this something that the Kusama testing is also doing? Like, is this something that you're trying to break with Kusama to see? Like, is the networking that is in place going to manage more validators or? Yeah. Is is the Fred is the Chaos Network project sort of related to this? Um to some degree. So we're working on a test suite that we hopefully open source as well to uh basically on a nightly basis, like on any build of the particular node, spawn up a thousand nodes and a hundred of them are validating, and then you introduce a bunch of chaos in the network, like network chaos, like uh dropping packets or disconnecting nodes, um, even, you know, in, in the future, hopefully introducing um, nodes behaving with Byzantine faults, like double signing or withholding information or whatever we can think of. And it runs this whole massive test suite on a nightly basis. Um, <clears throat> so it's not directly like to address just networking or like saying, can we run a thousand? Because that's a relatively easy benchmark to make, like as a once-off. But um, there's so much other stuff that goes into this. So if we're also thinking about like why is the validator set what it is? Well, it's in part how many validators in the world are there that are competent enough to run like a validating service? Uh, if we had a thousand right now, could we attract a thousand good validators? Probably not, especially not on Kusama. Maybe we can on, or hopefully we can on Polkadot. Otherwise. We probably failed, 
but uh, um, <laughs> on Kusama, like there's naturally just less interest. So how many good validators can there really be? Um, but uh, yeah, there there's a lot of considerations into like what you test and how, how far you go in these things. Huh. I would hope that like in the future, Kusama sticks around and it is a place where we can do more crazy shit like I mean, it eventually won't be up to us, right? Like it'll be a community managed network. So we will have to make a governance proposal to say, hey, let's increase the validator set to 1500 and save things break. <laughs> hmm. um, but um, I, I, I hope we can do some more crazy experiments with Kusama. What other kind of like, so I think, I think I'm still trying to get, I'm trying to get my mind around what an experiment is on Kusama. So we've mentioned a few, it's like governance experiments. It's like maybe seeing how many validators, although it sounds like there's some other product, there's some other kind of project focused on experimenting on that front. But what else could you do? What else could break? I think the most interesting experiments come with reward and consequences. <laughs> so um, once the network enters into the third milestone, which is when all of the features will be fully unlocked. And as a part of that, I think the democracy module, as well as the ability for accounts to transfer tokens to each other will be enabled. And I think um, the treasury will also be enabled. And that's where I think the experiments could get very interesting. The idea of the treasury is that it's a big pot of tokens. Um, the network has a natural inflation, and for every era, a certain percentage of the tokens that happens as a part of inflation gets paid to validators, and then the remaining goes into this big pot of tokens. Mm. And so, as a community member or anybody who holds even one Kusama uh, token, um, you can make a proposal for how you want to use the tokens in that treasury. Um, so we've had uh, some ideas come through. So there's, a, there's going to be a Kusama art competition <laughs> where uh, kind of leaning on Kusama's whole imagery of being very chaotic, glitchy, hot pink everywhere, um, there's going to be a monthly art competition. And the winner of that competition could potentially get 4,000 Kusamas, which is more than enough, I think, to vie for a validator slot hmm. um, if their art piece wins. It's almost like, I mean, is that the to the treasury then is a bit of a founder's reward or something like this. This is the topic we constantly bring up here. This is sort of like the treasury, is this just on Kusama or is this already built into Polkadot as well? It's built into Polkadot as well. But I guess like what will Kusama's dealings with that show you? Like kind of what are you looking for? I mean, uh, well, one thing to obviously look for is will people just exploit it? I mean especially as it's handed over, like there's so many theories. I mean, if we talk about vote buying and like all of the writings of Phil Dian and like the, the major like opponents of on-chain governance, they all say like, no, the system can't work because there will be like outside of blockchain systems that will corrupt everything and uh, it'll all fall apart. So if you have a treasury with a lot of money in it, you know, According to their theory, there should be some outside vote buying or whatever to basically say, just take all the money into the treasury. Hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of ways to take advantage of this big pot of tokens. Ideally, what we'd love to validate in the original, I think, intent 
behind something like the treasury is that the community will use it to fund their projects that contribute as a part of the ecosystem. Mm. For a long time, um, I think for those of us who do contribute to open source, we do it in our spare time. We don't get paid for it. And it's really something that we do in addition to making a living. Um, in this vision of Web3 <laughs> that the team has, um, that shouldn't be the case. You should be rewarded for your contributions. And ideally, through governance and everyone being able to get a vote, we will trend towards the more optimistic end of the spectrum rather than abusing the treasury. Mm. Though, for all intents and purposes, in Kusama Network, if either happens, we'll be very glad to see it cool. because it teaches us something new. Yeah, that's real. That's this is super interesting to see this particular case in action because this is something that like we've we've talked about a lot. People have theorized about. Um, we've seen a few founder reward type things in practice, but those were usually controlled by a small group of like very, you know, very community oriented people who've like you know seemingly acted in very benevolent ways. But like replace those people with non benevolent people right. or malicious folks, anonymous then, people then you don't know how it works. So this is going to be totally interesting. Will the treasury, like who decides on the treasury? Is it the public voting? Is it the council voting? Is it the technical council? Is it anything to do with that, with those two groups that you mentioned in the just before? I might be wrong here, but I believe at the moment it goes through the same voting process. As any upgrade? Correct. Oh, wow. But that would be really intense if you're talking about like all these, like, this is almost like you'd have grant proposals and then yeah like if it's going to be give me 10 bucks for making this pr yeah. then it's probably a bit much <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be want to establish something else for that yeah um, but I wonder if, if, you're, if we're talking about grant proposals like larger you know give me 10k to build this thing or 100k or something then uh, i think it might hopefully it would still be reasonable I wonder, like, has has the team been looking closely, at, like, what's what Aragon and like that because they they do that, like, for every single grant, for even like the teams building Aragon itself, like the marketing team, like every element of a company in their system in their network has to apply for these. I don't, I mean, not really grants, but like for funding, and then it's all voted on in this very very kind of on-chain way. So like if the vote comes through that, you know, the marketing department gets their funds, then they get their funds. And it's really, I mean, it's interesting to see, but I'm wondering if, do you consider the treasury a DAO? Do you consider the treasury allocations DAO activity? Some way it is, yeah. Depends on what, how you define a DAO. Is it an organization? Mm, I mean, it's a treasury. <laughs> but I, I guess it's like really similar to the original like vision of the DAO that, that crashed. You know, that was the same thing, right? Try to collect a bunch of money and fund projects with it and yeah. just vote on what gets funded. I kind of want to go back to the public and maybe define the different levels like of actors. So we, you said the public is everyone who has a token, even one token. Correct. So that's like every Polkadot address, basically. Correct. Are there other actors, like you have the token holders, you have the node operator, you have the validator, you have the council member on the public council, you have a technical council member. Are there any other roles? I guess you have the nom, well, the nominators would be public. Anyone with a uh, address can delegate or can nominate. Are there other actors in the Kusama network? Um, as 
the final uh, upgrade, or not the final one, but the next upgrade for Kusama comes out, and again, once the transfers are activated, um, really anyone in the public can go to our somewhat frictioned faucet, but be able to get a Kusama. So um, I think the public ownership of parts of the Kusama network will grow. Like with their, I'm just trying to imagine like what roles can people expect to you to have in the future if they're participating in this. Like, yes, you can be a developer building things on top of it. You yeah. could be a trader sending things between. But are there like sort of sub organizations or like I'm trying? I'm just I don't know how. Like, are there going to be pools? Are there going to be? I guess that's sort the- of part of what we're trying to find out as well. And you described all the obvious ones, and I think those are all there. Um, but yeah, what like subgroups or sub organizations will form? I'm not sure. Um, one thing I'm particularly curious about is once um, you can deploy a parachain, we have this sort of notion of um, there's a startup and they're building a blockchain and they're just going to build that as a parachain and d- deploy that. And I think that's how the vast majority of parachains will happen. But it's not a super exciting way to build a parachain. It's not that far from the traditional VC model of building a startup. Um, what would be a lot more exciting if there was like a Grin-like community that just came together and like got some funding, crowdfunding to buy a slot or something and mm. did something cool with it. And like there's like this anonymous set of people who managed to get a parachain and, you know, fulfill some vision. That would be... That would be nice. But, uh, you know, will this happen? I don't know. That's also part of what we hope to see out of Kusama. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, there's also, like, a lesson in if this is something that we want to happen, what can we do to encourage this behavior and, mm. like, try to make it easier to crowdfund or whatever else? So, in part, we're also trying to look for things that we might want to add to Polkadot these players that were just listed, how do they, like, where are they actually interacting? Like, are there forums? Is there a chat? Like, what, is it all on GitHub? Where is this happening? So far, it's been pretty decentralized. Okay. We have a lot of community teams that are building great forums, great UI to foster a lot of this interactivity. At the moment, um, I think categorizing it by most amount of interaction, it's been on Twitter, uh, Riot, um, Reddit. Yeah, it's been quite distributed. Although I think geographically it's clustered. So we see um, the beginnings of kind of back and forth between uh, validators um, clustered in North America uh, versus here in Europe. Um, And for some of the validators running their setup out of China, um, they definitely um, go towards more of a pooled validator consortium model um, because depending on the regions, the investment to set up um, that type of infrastructure takes a lot of upfront effort. Hmm. Yeah, that was actually my next question was like, who are the validators? Like, so you sort of map them out in a way. There are some groupings, but are they mostly so far like professionals? Are they teams that, you know, are validating on other networks already? Or what do they look like? It's a, so far, it's been a very even spread 
of experts, consortiums that、um, have dedicated talent researching these things and never getting slashed, and potentially signing agreements with larger dot holders、um, to ensure that that doesn't happen.、Uh, for us, going back to our previous point of that, fundamentally, the rewards and slashing mechanisms on Polkadot Network encourages the smaller players to come out. Anybody can set up a node as long as you figure out the setup so that you don't get slashed all the time and get an equal amount of delegated. Or nomination votes behind you.、Mm. So we also see a very large, long tail of people we don't know <laughs> all around the world. We just saw this world map infographic, and it is really evenly spread、mm. all around the world. With one node operating out of Cape Town, another one mysteriously in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, <laughs>、um, but very、uh, distributed. <laughs> cool.、Um, are there? But like. So this this idea this is actually I mean I think we talked about this I heard about this distributed validator breakdown and how you'd like delegate across the spread but like then are there like how do you have a big validator then because it sort of sounds like there are no big it sort of sounds like an evening force where like I mean that's what it, it's trying to do but what、um, a big validator actually means is that you run for multiple val- validator slots. Oh, I see. Okay. So you're, you're kind of saying like I'm a big player. I'm I've oversubscribed this validator slot. I'm gonna start a new one. Like I'm both this guy and this guy. So vote for both of us, would because they're both me. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. So you could take over things that way, but、um, you know, the danger is that people do that without saying it, and just like pretend to be multiple people, but they're actually the same. But the hope is that people will. Either see through that, or there will be some analysis tools in the future to see that how tokens transfer or whatever else. But yeah, this is this is one of the things that we want to see.、Mm. You know, the behavior of in、uh, an actual economic environment. Correct, and I think to further prevent that eventual clustering,、um, because human incentives-wise, we all want to put our money with the most reliable infrastructure.、Um, There are more punitive details that go into how slashing works.、Um, I believe,、uh, in in terms of like the most egregious punishments,、um, at the top it's definitely if you're double signing something.、Mm-hmm. Um, at the very bottom of the spectrum, it's if you go offline.、Um, in the middle, I think somewhere in the middle is if. To Fred's point, the multiple slots that you've occupied, they all behave similarly,、mm. meaning、um, you the the specific footprints and the traces that you leave in terms of how you validate and behave on the network is and similar. And like what your downtime is. And, Correct. Yeah, yeah. When those things are aligned and it's similar, the slashing will be a bit higher than normal. What do you- yeah? So this is like collusion resistance slashing. Basically, if one person goes off offline one time. It's fine. They're not, you know, they're not going to lose much or anything. And、um, but if like close to a third go offline at the same time, then it's you know a potential disaster for the network,、mm-hmm. and they will get slashed close to a hundred percent. I mean, this this could be problematic for any of the groups that are using like some specific cloud provider, correct server、yeah. location. That if that goes offline, every validator that happens to be holding there. Validation node. That's、there. why we encourage people to not host everything in the same place and punish them if they do. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make? I mean, I'm curious to hear what Kusama's engagement is with those validator services 
that are emerging. Do you want them to participate on the network or do you not? I think when there are resources going into uh, setting up a team, getting the right infrastructure, investing enough research and time into making your infrastructure truly robust, um, it ultimately adds towards securing the network. So it's all about having an evening effect, um, having a proportion of validators that are highly specialized. Um, and one of the interesting indirect effects of this, and this come, came from some user interviews with how certain dynamics are already starting to happen around Kusama Network, um, some of these very professional validator services actually promise um, the token holders who delegate their tokens to them um, in the event of slashing, they will sort of take on that responsibility. Mm. So the indirect effect of that is, well, number one, the network is more secure, but number two, um, more people are at attracted to this ecosystem because the services you are getting for owning a stake in this protocol is much better and it's a better experience. And if you're a big whale investor or if you're just an individual who holds one or two tokens, you want that experience. So ultimately, I think having those entities is great, um, but not having them dominate the network through some of the incentive structures we've put in place is good because we've also learned from observing other protocols where all of the power and all of the stake ultimately aggregated towards these validator consortiums. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been in a room with four entities that controlled basically all of the existing proof of stake networks. <laughs> it's not a super pretty scene if you believe in decentralization. Uh, but I think this is a larger problem that goes back to like token distribution as well and like a lot of other things like that. How do you get better at token distribution? Like how do you, like this is a core problem of proof of stake and why there are still people who prefer proof of work because it allows anyone to like come in at ground level Whereas proof of stake, it is necessary to buy in. So you need to have money in the first place. Mm. What I want to hear now is a little bit about this last phase. Sort of you, like you mentioned that there's this phase coming, but like when is that phase? What's the plan for that phase? Because like right, right now, what, what can we do? Right now we can validate, nominate. Claim your dots. Claim, or claim your kusamas. Claim kusama. Run for council. Okay. Yeah, that's that's mostly it. But then there's all sorts of things that we can't do yet. Like we, we can't even there, you can't transfer Kusama. Correct. Um, I think what I understand from the team is uh, that kind of major release is coming up soon. Um, for the past 14, 15 days, I think there's been daily releases. So if you pay attention to our um, GitHub, uh, you'll see every day there are new things coming out. But I think if we had to put a stake, a marker in the ground for this large milestone for when Kusama um, turns from something that is somewhat still pseudo-controlled into fully decentralized, fully owned by the community, um, I think that release might be coming soon. And what you'll get with that is complete access to all of the modules. Mm. Like you mentioned, the ability to transfer. Um, the public faucet will be open. So anyone interested in participating on the network will be able to get some stake. Um, 
folks will be officially able to take advantage of the treasury, like we talked about previously. Um, and I think a lot of the on-chain politics will start happening in full force. So ideally, we'll have folks from the community submit proposals to upgrade the code on-chain. Um, there's also some community ideas to do a Kusama treasure hunt. Um, so every month, in a very Ready Player One way, yeah, cool. have different challenges go up. Um, really, I think when all of the features get released, you'll be able to do anything because you'll be able to vote on decisions and then you'll be able to pay out based on those decisions. So given that recipe, you could really do anything. Hmm, cool. Looking back over this experience and maybe looking forward, what do you think is the biggest challenge of releasing a new network into the world? Yeah, um, I think there's definitely the technical <laughs> challenges, um, but, but we're, we're lucky to have a really maybe, superb team. Maybe single from, challenge was a hard <laughs> question. Maybe just some challenges that yeah, you... Maybe an unconventional challenge. Uh, I think there was a bit of a branding challenge because we wanted to release this early experimental chaotic thing and set expectations that we want to break it together, but at the same time also have some risk and reward that's not contrived. So we didn't want to put concrete bounties into this program. Um, and ultimately, we came upon this very chaotic, again, hot pink, um, super experimental, expect things to break narrative. And we weren't sure if that was going to resonate with folks. Um, but once we launched it, so far in the past three months, it's it almost feels like Kusama has developed a little bit of a cult following. That's kind of what you'd want from something like a chaos network, no? Yeah. <laughs> that messaging really <laughs> resonated with hackers all around the world. And there are very many quirky things that come as a result of that. Um, for example, uh, this past Halloween, there was a trending hashtag called hashtag bleeding edge, where people just made these quirky Kusama gifs and memes um, to talk about the network. And they all shared it on social media. Um, there's a uh, campaign going around for people to get Kusama tattoos, to get that canary tattooed on themselves. Um, yeah, so, so very interesting behaviors have come around this branding. And I think that was a very nice surprise for the team. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sort of helping to get inside this mysterious chaos canary network called Kusama. Thank you for having us. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 